and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey, good morning. Our scripture today comes from John 1, uh, verses 35 through 46. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, buddy. Hi, again, how are you? Um, for those of you who were here last week and came back, um, I feel like as much as we talked about sadness last week, you get extra points in heaven for returning. I don't actually believe in extra points in heaven, but I'm willing to give them out for free. Um, I am, I have one more announcement. Here's the fun thing about Vineyard Springbrook is as soon as you think the announcements are over, we're like, we have one more for you. Um, and so I have one and I just wanted to say it myself because I'm really excited about this. But um, we love to partner with other churches and do things with other churches. And um, out of the gracious generosity of their hearts, Cedar Springs Presbyterian in Knoxville has invited us to join them on Saturday, February 10th um, for what they call Marriage Saturday. It's essentially just a class um, uh, for a couple of hours for anyone who uh, is thinking about getting married, is engaged, 
is married, has been married, uh, all of those things. So um, that will be offered to you. Uh, you can sign up on our website. So if you go to springbrook.vineyardchurch.us, uh, you will click what's happening and there will be a link there uh, to sign up for that class. So it's Saturday, uh, February 10th from 9.30 to 12.30. And um, it, basically what it is is it's just a class uh, by therapists. So therapists are gonna stand on a stage and be like, here's some great tricks on how to relate to another person. That feels like the kind of class I want to go to. So um, if you want to come or you want more information, just find me after and uh, we'd love for you to join us. So um, if uh, you are new to us or we haven't seen you for a few weeks, we're in a season uh, here at the Vineyard called Epiphany. Actually, it's, the, it's a season for the church all over the world called Epiphany. And uh, the word Epiphany means uh, to show or to bring light to. And so uh, around here and again, all over the world, uh, we're intentionally turning our eyes uh, to stories about Jesus and holding up these stories about Jesus in a new light um, in hopes of learning something new. Uh, fresh moment or fresh revelation. And today, um, I took you uh, to like the depths of despair last week. Uh, today, I'm going to take you to class. Uh, we're going to have class here. And I am um, like so, so, so excited about it. Uh, I was texting a couple of my friends yesterday who are here and who are also Bible nerds. And I was like, tomorrow's the day. We're going to nerd out so hard on the Bible. And then I was like reading my text and I was like, I never imagined being 40, texting my friends being like, you know what we're going to do? Nerd out on the Bible. You know, and then that's what I was doing. So um, it's just an interesting place. Here we are. Um, but uh, we talk about the baptism of Jesus pretty much uh, every single year here at Springbrook um, during Epiphany. And, and the reason that we do that is because it is an incredibly important moment in like the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's an incredibly important and pivotal moment in the stories of the gospel. It's, it's, it's God marking his son to begin everything else that's about to happen. Um, and so because we, we look at it every year, sometimes it gets hard to, to find new and creative ways to look at it. Um, uh, so this week, but this week we're really going to shift and look look at it from a really unique perspective, I think. Um, but in order to do that, uh, we're going to have to take a few big steps back and, and kind of like get a wider view of the entire Bible in order to look at this one story. Um, if you've been at Springbrook for a while, then you know that that's something we, are try we try to do a lot. Uh, a whole lot, is we try to take a few steps back and look at things from a wider perspective, whether it's things in our life or the scriptures um, or the, the ideas about God as we're constantly being like, let's, let's look at it up close, but then let's take a wider view. Let's take a, a longer, wider look. Um, and, and, and I think that's a really, really important thing to do uh, because a lot of damage has been done in the world uh, in the name of Jesus or for the cause of God because um, people have read verses like siloed, like these individual verses that they've used to justify just like horrific, horrific things. Like people use Bible verses to justify awful things like the Crusades and slavery and genocide in Rwanda, child marriage, the Holocaust. I could keep going, right? You know this, like awful, awful things uh, have been done based on what people thought was like a, a reading of one Bible verse. And 
And I like to think that we're like completely inoculated from this because it's the 21st century, but I'm certain that there will be things that my kids are, or grandkids are like, you thought what? You use that verse to say what? You know, um, so, so I would argue that it is a very good thing and a very holy thing um, for us to learn how to take a few steps back in reading scripture uh, to see a wider view of the Bible as a whole, the story of God as a whole. Um, this feels particularly important this year because we have an election season uh, coming up. And there are about to be a whole lot of very weird things said against certain candidates, for certain candidates. And people are going to use Bible verses to do it. They're going to zoom in real close and they're going to make it seem like, see, it's right here. You can't see anything else. And, and here's this prophecy or here's this candidate. And it's going to be bonkers. And so I uh, want us to practice before we get there, um, learning how to zoom out a little bit, learning how to take a few steps back to see the wider picture, the wider story, uh, learning how to do things like, like asking questions like, okay, I see this verse. Where else do I see it in the story? Where else can I look to to help me understand what God's saying? Or, or I see this verse. What was happening before it or after it? And let's, let's, let's dive into the scripture, particularly when things look wonky and people uh, come at you with things that you're like, that doesn't feel right. Um, part of taking a wider step is to kind of help us learn uh, how to read the Bible. It is very good and wise to read the Bible close up, and it is very good and wise to read the Bible with a longer, wider view. Both of those things are really good ways to uh, engage the scriptures. So today, we are going to take a bit of the long view, um, and uh, I have stolen pretty much all of this from the Bible Project. We're going to link the video in socials tomorrow. I probably should have just played it because they're way more interesting than me. Um, but between that and conversations with a good friend of mine, Joey Bruno, if you know Joey, uh, shout out to him on the podcast. Um, I've stolen all of this from them. So, um, But what I want to do today is look at patterns uh, in the scriptures and patterns particularly that relate to the baptism of Jesus. Um, but to do that first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how to read the Bible. I've talked about close up and a wide view, um, but I also uh, get this question pretty regularly in my job. How do we read, do we read the Bible like we read other books or do we read the Bible completely different than we read other books? And my answer to that is yes. Uh, to both. Um, because yes, the, the Bible is a completely different book. It is inspired by God. It is God's word. It's a completely different than all other books. And still it is a book and it, and it, and it employs uh, the things that all kinds of, of books employ. Like um, it has regular stories and narratives and historical perspectives and, and poems and they, and they follow uh, the, the, the rules of writing. Which means that when we look at patterns in the scripture, it's important for us um, to remember that biblical narratives, they use uh, like this similar moves or like the basic tools uh, uh, of writing. Things like character and setting and plot. Uh, they use these things to move a story forward. So in the Bible, uh, like in all story, it is a good thing to pay attention to who are the characters and what is the setting and, and what is the plot of, of uh, what we're looking at. Um, 
The authors of the Bible, they use these basic tools in order to help and lead us, uh, the readers, to pay attention to what the story means, to pay attention to significant pieces or plots that that are important for our uh, life, for the way we see the kingdom of God. Um, And one of the tools, in addition to those that the writers of the scripture use, uh, very often is design pattern. Um, you can find patterns all over the narrative of the Bible. Patterns are, are one of the ways that the writers of the scriptures uh, tie together things like plot and character and setting. It's how they highlight main ideas or, or significant ideas is they repeat them over and over and over again. They establish pattern and they establish rhythm around them. Uh, We talk a lot around here about how uh, the Bible is basically just like one big story filled with lots of different little stories, but how there's this one big narrative, narrative arc of scripture that talks about creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And the writers of the Bible, they use pattern in order to highlight these incredibly important parts of the meta narrative, the, the big story of the scriptures. And writers do this uh, in all kinds of ways. They do it overtly. Sometimes it's like really clear and you see it over and over and over again. Sometimes it's subtly with, with uh, important words that, that find their way all throughout uh, the scriptures or, or phrases or images on repeat in order to connect stories and, and ideas together. Uh, and one of these design patterns that we see uh, in our scripture that Nick just read us today, um, but also through the entire Bible, is uh, this image of water, this pattern of repeating ideas around water. Water is like a, it's an in-your-face pattern of the Bible. It shows up constantly and often in very big and huge ways. Uh, and the specific pattern of water that, that, that pops up uh, a lot is described by the Bible Project folks like this. They call it uh, the pattern of how God is bringing humanity through the chaotic, water, chaotic waters and into a new world. It's this picture over and over and over again of God who is bringing his people through the chaos of water and onto the dry land of his kingdom of peace and hope and flourishing. Uh, the first time we see this, the first image we has, have of this is at the very beginning of the scriptures. Uh, if you want to follow along with me, it's Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 reads this. The earth was formless and empty and the darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the Bible story of how the world came to be, we have earth at the very beginning and it is covered in water. Uh, The Hebrew word to describe the water here is uh, tohu vavohu, which is kind of fun. Um, Tohu vavohu. Uh, But what it means, fun word, bad meaning. What it means is wild and waste. That's how the Bible describes the waters at the very beginning. They're wild waters and they're wasted waters. The waters, they're the symbol um, of cosmic chaos. They're a place where nothing can live and nothing can flourish. Uh, But the writers of Genesis tell us that God is hovering over this, hovering over this wildness, hovering over this chaos, and that that is where God's work begins. It doesn't begin in the sky somewhere. God's work begins in the middle of chaos. Uh, And in the first few verses of Genesis, we see God doing some very specific work, and that's work of separating. That's God's first work in all of the world is separating. First, he separates the light and the darkness, and they become two different things. 
And then he separates the water on the ground and the water in the sky into two different things and creates the sky. And then he takes the water on the ground and he separates it one more time. And, and, and what he does is, is, is he, he takes on all of the water and dry land emerges from it. And then it's there on dry land uh, that living things start to exist. It's there on dry land that flourishing is possible where things and people and communities can start to grow and thrive and flourish. That's the first time we see the picture of chaos and order coming from the dry land. Uh, the next time we see the pattern uh, is a few chapters later. It's in Genesis chapter 6 uh, with the story of Noah. If you grew up in the church as a kid, you probably heard the story of Noah's Ark. Um, at this point in, in the, the biblical narrative, the big story of the Bible, uh, humanity has responded to God's peace and flourishing, God's shalom, um, by filling it once again with chaos. God created this dry land. He created it for flourishing. Uh, and then humanity brought chaos back into it, brought uh, brokenness and death and destruction. They're prevalent in every single way. And so God responds once again to the chaos with a separation. And he uses water as an image of this. If you remember the story, uh, Noah is a righteous man and God comes to him and he tells him to build a boat. And when Noah does, he puts his family on the boat and he puts two of every living thing on the boat. And then uh, God floods the world. Read for that. God allows all destruction and chaos to have its way in the world. And this is interesting. I don't have time to fully dive into it, but it's kind of the antithesis of the first story. If at the beginning of Genesis 1, God is, is doing a creation story, this is God doing sort of like a, a decreation story, which I wish I had more time for. But um, out of the waters of chaos, God allows Noah's family and all of the living things on the boat to pass through the waters. And then their story ends with, with them emerging on the other side of the waters of chaos and, and new creation on dry land once again. Once again, flourishing life is restored. Noah's boat passes through the water onto dry land. Uh, the third time we see the pattern uh, reemerge is in the life and story of Moses. If you're uh, following along with me, it's Moses' story begins in Exodus chapter 2. And Pharaoh, he's, he's the, the king of Egypt and, and uh, all of God's people, the people of Israel, are captive to Egypt. And Pharaoh decides that uh, when the women of Israel have babies, they're supposed to have their babies and then throw them in the Nile River. Because when they throw them into the water, uh, they can't flourish and they can't live. And so that's how Moses comes into the world, is he's supposed to be born and thrown into the Nile. But his mom does something uh, a little different, and she builds him like this little boat. Um, another fun fact, the word for Noah's ark, the word for ark, uh, only shows up one other time in the scriptures. And it's this story, when Moses' mom builds him a little ark, a little boat, and she throws him into the water in this boat. And he uh, is found by the daughter of the Pharaoh. And so he's, he's rescued from the chaos of the waters and he's brought onto dry land by Pharaoh's daughter and she raises him in the palace like a prince. That's the, the story of Moses out of chaos and into flourishing. Uh, and then when Moses is an adult, um, he gets a message from God that, that it's now time for him to do uh, what happened to him. It's time for him to take his own story and, and lead the people of Israel, all of them, into a similar story. 
Uh, and so God is going to rescue not just Moses, but all of Israel out of the oppression of Egypt. And, and he does it in a few ways, but ultimately uh, all of this rescue culminates in this like crazy moment where, where Moses leads all of the Israelites uh, and they get to the Red Sea and they're standing on the shore of the Red Sea and the, uh, the Egyptians are chasing them. They can like hear them behind them and the people of God look at Moses and they're like, did you just bring us here to die? Like we went through all of these things and then you just brought us here to die because they're staring at the water. And remember, water is a symbol of chaos and destruction, not of living things, not of flourishing things. And so they're like, did you just bring us here to kill us? And they say, we want to go back. Like we may not have been flourishing in Egypt, but at least we were alive. And uh, then Moses, he like raises his staff. And when he does, the water parts. And, in, and there's like walls of water. And in between the walls of water is dry land for the Israelites to walk through, to be uh, rescued from. Where the people of God aren't just uh, rescued in order to survive, but they're rescued and, and the people of God begin to flourish on the other side. Uh, the pattern happens again uh, in the book of Joshua a few books later with the, with the people of Israel. This is 40 years after the moment in the Red Sea where they walked across uh, dry land. And the people of God are wandering in the wilderness waiting for this promised land. This land that God promised them where, where their flourishing will happen. Uh, and, and so they're waiting around and there's this moment uh, right before they enter into this land that, that belongs to them. That God has promised to them. And Joshua leads the people once again to a shore. This time it's the shore of the Jordan River. And they're standing on the shore and he appoints 12 priests from each of the tribes of Israel. And these 12 priests are gonna carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. And the first thing they do is they step into the water like up to their ankles. They wade into the water. And then in a similar picture to what happened 40 years before, uh, the, the river stops flowing and a wall of water is once again uh, made. The, there's a wall of water that holds back uh, the river. The, 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 it stops flowing from the upstream. And the 12 priests, they lead the people of God through the water that's been separated from the land. And they walk into their promise, into their flourishing uh, for their community, for themselves. And the pattern, I could keep going, the pattern keeps uh, happening. It's all over the book of Isaiah where uh, the writers of Isaiah masterfully use this image and pattern to talk about things from like the lineage of David to, they're, they're the writers that pull this imagery and bring it into the future, uh, which brings us to our story today. Uh, John, in his book, uh, he, the first thing he does is quote uh, the prophecy of Isaiah uh, and, and he's talking about the messenger of John the Baptist, but he quotes Isaiah talking about this pattern. This is the good news. Verse one, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending a messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. And the messenger was John the Baptist. Uh, the gospel writer John tells us that John the Baptist fulfills the prophecy of announcing Israel's rescue by clearing a path, by clearing a road, and specifically clearing a path through the water. Uh, on the Jordan River where generations before priests had led God's people into their freedom and into their flourishing, John the Baptist does something very, very similar, very on pattern. It's a, an intentional prophetic act of John the Baptist. 
John, he declares that rescue is coming, that, uh, that repentance is necessary or turning away from destruction is necessary. And then he parts the waters of the Jordan as he baptizes people in the name of the rescue that's coming. And they come out of the water symbolically, out of their own chaos, out of their own destruction and, and into more flourishing. And, and there's this moment on the shore of the Jordan River uh, where John meets Jesus And Jesus asked John the baptizer to baptize him. And it's here that we, that the the pattern that we've been talking about for a lot of minutes has been all throughout the Old Testament. It's, It's here that this pattern that we've seen all throughout the scriptures finds its object. It finds its moment. It finds the thing to which it has always been pointed. Jesus in the Jordan River, uh, where the people walked into the promised land in Joshua. And, and, uh, and as he's being baptized, he comes through the water like the people do in Exodus. And when he does, the heavens split open, referring back to the creation when the earth and sky are split. And then the spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove, pointing to the presence of God over the chaotic waters and the dove that Noah sends out looking for dry land. One more geeky fact. Uh, When all of this happens, God's voice bellows, you are my beloved son. Original language, you are mine, you belong to me. It's similar wording uh, that God said to the Israelites when they're standing on the shore saying, did you bring us here, here to kill us? And he's like, no, you're mine. I'm not doing that. You're mine. Words of belonging spoken over Jesus, a father spoken to his son. You are mine. I am pleased with you. Jesus' baptism, it points to so many of the things before, so many of the patterns that have existed before. It's the moment that God is announcing Jesus, his son, will rescue the world from the chaos of destruction uh, by walking through it. That his son would walk through the water of the Jordan River and then years later that he would walk through the chaos of the cross, bearing the chaos, bearing the destruction in order to make a way for us to exist on dry land, to flourish uh, in a new creation, to walk walk into the fullness that we were created for. Uh, This is just one of the patterns that exists in the scriptures. There's lots of them, but this is a big one. Um, And I think it matters uh, that we know these patterns, that we understand and know that they're not on accident, that they're purposeful, intentional movements meant to point us into who we've been invited to be, point us um, into what it means to live flourishing in the kingdom of God. Um, And this is why we keep the pattern going. The pattern of baptism doesn't end with Jesus. It, it, uh, It keeps going long after him. Uh, and that's why every so often around here, we roll in a big tank of water. And, and in a priestly and prophetic act, a regular person dunks another person under the water and then brings them through it. Symbolically through the chaos and the destruction into new life and into fresh hope and into the flourishing of the kingdom of God. I love this stuff because there's something about uh, the repetition of things, like the pattern of things uh, that can help bury them inside us. Like there's something about patterns that help imprint them into our lives and our bones and our minds and our hearts and our souls. Repetition does this. It's a, it's a genius tool uh, to do this. Uh, I've, I've, I've told this story before before. Um, 
but I love it, so don't stop me. Um, but when a favorite pastor of mine, Eugene Peterson, uh, passed away a few years ago, his son Leif did his eulogy. Uh, and when he stood up to his eulogy, he said, my father had everybody fooled. And, you know, the way things go with pastor these days, I can imagine the room was like, oh, man, <laughs> he liked you. Um, but uh, he says, my dad had all of you fooled. And he said, the reason for that is he said, you guys all thought he was this amazing preacher. But he only had one sermon ever. He just repeated the same thing over and over and over and over again. I think maybe the way to say it is that Eugene Peterson had a pattern. And every sermon had the same pattern. And his son Leif uh, and his siblings knew this pattern best of all because what Leif said is that his dad would uh, uh, come quietly into their room at night as they were falling asleep. And he would gently whisper into their ears this sermon, this pattern, uh, over and over, night after night. And it was this, God loves you. He's on your side. He's chasing after you. And he won't stop. He won't give up. I just, I think that's what we're looking at here today. A a sermon, a pattern, a love story told over and over and over and over again. uh, Using water since the beginning of time. God loves you so much that he sent his son to fulfill the pattern. He's on your side hovering over the chaos and the destruction of your life and he's chasing after you and he will not give up. He will part the waters of chaos and he will offer you dry, the dry land of rescue and he will not give up on offering you the fullness and the flourishing that his kingdom has to offer and he will do it again and he will do it again and he will do it again and he will do it again. That's how patterns work. So here's what I want to do. Uh, we take a moment every uh, Sunday that we call Selah, uh, just a word we stole from the Psalms that essentially just means like a quiet pause. Uh, and we're going to do that now. Um, essentially what it means is just uh, that we don't want to move on too quickly from something. We want to allow room for the Holy Spirit uh, to talk to us. It's, you know, not normally a good idea to take a moment of silence right in the middle or at the crescendo of a service, but we think it's really important. Um, and here's my hope. Will you, uh, in this minute, um, w- would, you want, would you zoom back in? We've zoomed way, way, way out into this wide story, so I want to give you um, permission and invite you to zoom back in and ask this question. What does this mean for you? Like, where in your life do you see this pattern? Uh, Where in your life is there water? Meaning, where in your life is there chaos and destruction that is having its way with you or having its way around you? Where in your life do you need the seas to split? Do you need dry land uh, to walk on? And maybe where in your life or how in your life might God be offering you dry land? Where is he inviting you into the flourishing of the kingdom uh, right in the middle of the chaos of your life? So take a few minutes, there'll be some verses on the screen and um, I'm just gonna pray and bless it and then we'll come to the table. So Jesus, we thank you that um, in order to, to get our attention about some things, you just repeat them over and over and over again until we kind of believe them. So I just pray that in this room, that you would do that in us. 
would you imprint us, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bones, our bodies, with the story that you are near to the chaos. You're not far away from it. You hover over it. That you long to open it up, to part the waters, to create a way for freedom and create a way for flourishing. And so we just ask in these next few minutes, would you give us the courage to look inside ourselves uh, to things that you might want to say in us or do in us, things you might want to call out in us or reimagine in us and in our lives and our communities. In your name we pray.